We are live, episode 78, coming at you on the heels of a wild, wild UFC weekend. I feel like I say that every weekend, because when you get a pay-per-view bout today, it's a hot growing sport, it's an intense sport, it pulls you in, you gotta do it, and I was in uh, Portland this weekend, I uh, actually went to a sports bar that had a cover f- charge with some friends to watch the fight. Because we were in town for the Jazz Blazer game on Sunday. The last regular season basketball game of the NBA season. So we did miss uh, Donovan Mitchell. But got to see some awesome minutes from Jared Butler. Um, Obviously the great fights that had happened this weekend. And uh, I'm fired up for some NBA playoffs. I'm fired up for some MLB season. And more and more UFC fights. But before we get into it, we're going to talk fueled supplements. Whether you're trying to run a 4040, a lift 400 pounds, or even enjoy life for another 40 years, Fueled Supplements has a variety of products um, that will align exactly to your specific goals. Go to FueledSupplements.com. Again, you're buying subs at the store. Just take a pause. You're tuning in. I talk about this all the time. Type in FueledSupplements.com. Type it in right now. And you'll see there's plenty of great products to suit your daily wellness needs. Use my promotion code BUCKETS for a little bit of savings while you're at it. Already great prices, but 15% off with promotion code BUCKETS. B-U-C-K-E-T-S. Now, we're going to jump it right into it, starting with some UFC. Starting the show with the UFC. You know, pretty soon this is going to be an MMA-only show. Coming up with a new name under the Business and Buckets Podcast Network. Um, But there's been some fun fights announced uh, before we talk about UFC 273. Uh, Marcin Pacino taking on Felipe Lins. That's a banger coming up. Uh, Some big boys that like to throw down. So I I expect that to be a a knockout finish for sure. Uh, In my opinion, the best woman's fight Potentially top five UFC fight of all time. Zhang Weilei is taking on Joanna Young Jacek. Joanna's back. The crazy woman, you know, brutal, aggressive, orthodox fighter. Joanna's coming back to Gracie Octagon for UFC 275 in Singapore this summer. And if you're a fight fan like me, can't wait, can't wait. That's going to be fun. That's the fight we've all been waiting for. It'll be great to see how Joanna, you know, she's obviously been doing a lot of business moves, trying to get that new contract. So I'm assuming she must have got paid or she gave in. But I'm excited to see how the time off has treated her, you know, what her focuses are to see if she's still got that killer mentality. But regardless, that is going to be fun. Another fun fight, Andre Arlovsky back at the octagon. You know, the, the ex-champion, the ex the, the the true veteran stepping in to take on Jake Collier on short notice. Love to see when Andre, the pitbull, Arlovsky, comes back into the octagon. Um, Alir Latifi, he's out. Jared Vandera in versus Alexi Olenek. That happened on the fight card this weekend, and we will re- recap that. But originally, it was supposed to be Alir Latifi in for that fight. The UFC is uh, parting ways with Cowboy, not Donald Cerrone, Cowboy, but Cowboy Alex Oliveira. Um, he's been on a fighting skid, recently fighting Kevin Holland. The UFC has decided, decided to part ways. Uh, so bravo to your days in the UFC. 
lots of fights of to bring back memory. You know, I'm excited to start a Twitch channel, uh, get you guys that are big MMA fans to tune in. We'll talk about, you know, fights, maybe go on a little binge watching of previous fighters fights uh, before big UFC cards, things of that nature. So excited to, you know, really expand what what I do here, what Business and Buckets does for the MMA world. Really cool news here. Um, the UFC just debuted this this weekend where the fans get a vote for bonus of the night. Um, there's three different uh, bonuses that are paid out, and it's paid out in Bitcoin. I think it's $50,000, $30,000, and $10,000, and that's up to the fans. You know, about $100,000 total in bonuses, so it's really cool that we have that. Uh, gives us a good reason to engage and feel like we're, we're a part of something. Uh, they haven't announced uh, who, who the people are for that that have won that yet, but they, they jumped right in and started that this weekend. The UFC is reportedly planning an eight-man tournament across four divisions starting in the Singapore UFC 275. Uh, talking about uh, bringing some foreign fighters over, battling it out maybe for UFC roster spot or potential rankings. Uh, I, I'm not too sure. There's not a lot of details here. Uh, but I was super hyped about the Grand Prix idea that Bellator had done, you know, with Yoel Romero getting hurt, Nemkov finally fighting Corey Anderson this weekend, you know, all the delay. It's been over a year, it seems like, since they debuted that. But the concept, the idea was great if it was able to happen. So really interested to see what happens here on the UFC's version of that. And outside of the UFC, Wyoming's finest, Bryce Meredith, stays undefeated as an MMA fighter. Uh, he had a fight about a year ago, went through some 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 knee recoveries. I don't think it was a true surgery or anything, maybe like a meniscus um, you know, recovery or something of that nature, MCL. Uh, well, he got a nice win at the LFA, got a short-notice opponent. It was a catchweight bout, an old, true, gritty veteran, but got some great quality time in the octagon. Uh, excited to see what he does as he... Get some more LFA fights. He's talking about four, fighting like four times this year. Him staying active. Him grinding out there in the desert. Uh, excited to go to Phoenix and potentially uh, get some good interviews and um, conversations with um, the misfit Bryce Meredith himself. In the boxing world, Ryan Garcia with an easy win this week. He just adds to his resume. Everyone's already excited to see you know what kind of competition he goes up to next. Uh, but some nice power, some quick hands. I didn't get to catch the bout, just the highlights. But he looked like he was in total control of that fight. So Ryan Garcia's uh, brand continues to grow in boxing. And uh, Anthony Usyk is officially going to fight July 23rd in Saudi Arabia. Uh, it's going to be great to see him back. Um, obviously coming off the win against Anthony Joshua. So that's happening this summer. Saudi Arabia, put that down in your calendars. Uh, watching Anthony versus Usyk is going to be fun. The, the first fight was a was a, a dandy. Can't wait for the rematch. Um, Floyd's fighting on the helipad against Don Moore, May 14th in Dubai. We had talked about the first headline rumors of this happening. I believe it was supposed to happen in April. It didn't. Now it's May. We have a different opponent. Um, he was supposed to fight some, I think, Muay Thai type fighter. Uh, but now he's fighting Don Moore on the helipad. And we also have Anderson Silva boxing Bruno Machado on the helipad as well. I know absolutely nothing about Bruno Machado and Don Moore. But all you got to tell me is Floyd is fighting. The Spider is fighting. I'm tuning in. And it's on a helipad. 
in Dubai. Come on now. Come on. You know how Floyd TMT likes to do it. And then uh, this weekend, a big Bellator card featuring AJ McKee versus Patricio Frieri and Vadim Nemkov versus ex-UFC fighter Corey Anderson. Two fights that I've probably been more excited about in, in, in the Bellator world, especially uh, seeing Nemkov fight some high-quality opponents to see if you know maybe he could compete in the, in the UFC. Um, but yeah, some high-quality competition this weekend happened in Bellator. Uh, Bellator's got quite a few cards coming up, some PFL coming up soon, uh, Tyson Fury coming up in a couple weeks, so lots of fight action as it gears towards summertime. So let's talk UFC 273. I went 4-5 and five in picks, so had a little bit brutal pick weekend after a hot stretch of 4 or 5 weeks, and you know, obviously taking Gilbert Burns, there was a little bit of risk there, but I was I was definitely confident in it. And then the Tisha Torres McKenzie Dern fight, I felt like I was two faced from Batman, you know, fate of the coin, so to speak. Uh, but some great performances. We'll start in the early prelims where Jared Vandera stepped in short notice, takes on the true veteran with a, a tremendous amount of fights. And he comes out, gets a first round submission via scarf hold. A very, very rare submission against Jared Vandera. And to me, this was comical. This was the first fight in my parlay. I was like, all right, baby, let's get this momentum going. I'm in Portland. I'm going to pay for my crazy weekend. This is going to be great. I had put some bets on some rounds. I did an Aljamain Sterling and Gilbert Burns underdog parlay. Was close on a lot. But uh, the, the payout was Volkanovski finishing the Korean Zombie in round four. Gave me a nice little payout. But regardless, this was comical for me being the first bout in my parlay. And Jared was, you know, in a good position early, I would say. Not great position, but he was the aggressor. He was landing some strikes. Uh, he found his uh, way on top. I don't believe it was a takedown. It was just kind of a heavyweight tussle, so to speak. And uh, he's trying to do jujitsu with the heavyweight jujitsu wizard. And I am just screaming at my phone. I'm like, dude, get up. Don't play, you know, don't play where the dog could bark you or whatever kind of, you know, phrase you want to use there, metaphor. But don't play in the doghouse. You know, he's playing. He's trying to get hooks in. You could tell he's not very comfortable. He gets a little high. Sure enough, um, Alexio Linick finds a way to get the reversal, gets him, you know, in a bad position. And Vandera is still willing to, to grapple for whatever reason which is psychotic for most heavyweights, let alone, you know, no offense to Jared Van Der, but it's like, come on, man. And uh, yeah, finds himself deep. It's just basically like a, I don't even know how to explain this joke. It's like a muscle choke. It's all about getting the right tension and then just squeezing the shit out of the opponent. Uh, but supposedly he was backstage throwing up afterwards. They showed video of him trying to understand, you know, how the hell did you tap me out? But it's like, yeah, this guy could do shit like this. He has a lot of submissions. What are you doing? What are you doing? Regardless, Alexi got a performance of the night bonus with that rare choke. And when we look at the stats, Jared landed 23 total and 15 significant strikes compared to Alexi's eight total and significant with the reversal in the submission attempt. So now Alexi starts a winning streak after dropping three in a row. That puts his win total at 60 professional victories i repeat 60 fucking victories and his submissions now to 47 
Like, God damn, 47 submissions for a big boy. He hasn't always fought at heavyweight, but that is some wild numbers. You have to give respect where respect is due. Now, Jared's on a three-fight losing streak. So, uh, yeah. Again, why, why try to do... Why try to do something on the ground with this guy? But uh, what, what what could be next for these guys? Maybe Alexi taking on Augusto Sakai. Keep bringing him up. He's on a fight skid. I mean, anyone could be fighting him that's also on a skid. He's in the rankings. Or maybe Juan Espino. And for Jared, if he's still in the UFC roster, I could see jo- uh, Chase Sherman or Josh Parisian. Um, due to you know him being young, uh, lack of depth in the heavyweight, I'm sure he'll continue, but... On the skid that he's on, there is potential that, that he will no longer be with the UFC unless his contract's still still going. And that was in the early prelims. There was a few bouts that, that got taken off the card, injuries, health, whatever. You know, there was some late notice fights. So there was supposed to be a deeper prelim bout, but that wasn't the case. Moving on to the prelims, what a performance by Mike Mallett. First round knockout over Mickey Gall. I got this fight wrong as well. Uh, my whole methodology was Mickey's been there against some pretty high-quality fighters, and he is on a skid. He knows that. A guy that's basically making his UFC debut you cannot lose to, uh, this puts you in a bad spot when it comes to your UFC tenure. So, fight starts, does not last very long. Mike comes out hot and just straight flatlines Mickey. I mean, face into the... Matt just looking, you know, butt up in the air, just destroys Mickey on the ground. And uh, it's brutal because Mickey really, really needed this one and it did not go to his plan. Uh, Statistically, Mike landed 29 total and 28 significant strikes with that knockdown compared to Mickey's 14 total and 13 significant strikes. He also had a takedown in the fight. So Mickey is now on a two fight losing streak. And getting put into purgatory in the welterweight division, which is not ideal, uh, especially for a guy in his prime. Mike's on a four-fight winning streak, one of those being the contender series fight that earned him the UFC uh, contract. Also, his first UFC fight against Mickey Gall. I do think, like I've said multiple times, the contender series fights should count as UFC fights. In my opinion, it is what it is. Um, Especially maybe like the quarterfinal up in Ultimate Fighter. Because a lot of those guys end up being in the UFC anyways. So what's next? Well, for Mickey, uh, he could fight Takashi Soto, who just recently lost to Gunnar Nelson, if he's still on the roster. And for Mike, he could take on Phil Rowe or Ramirez Brahimaj. And then move into the women's side of things. What a fight this was. I had a feeling this would come down to the wire. Um, Raquel Pennington with unanimous decision over Aspen Ladd. And although this was a unanimous decision, it was a, a, a very close fight. You know, this was going to come down to who is the tougher fighter, but also who has more gas in the cardio gas tank, so to speak. And uh, that's kind of how Raquel fights. I said I, I figured she'd come forward. She tried to make this fight early, and uh, she could take a hit to be able to deliver some hits as well. And that's kind of how the fight played out. I did, you know, coming into the fight, I did think that Ladd would look a little sharper, a little bit crisper with her strikes. Uh, she was just throwing a lot of high volume uh, you know, it didn't seem to really affect Pennington as she was able to keep coming forward and land cleaner strikes. Uh, but when we looked at the stats, Aspen landed 102 total, 65 of, 65 of those being significant, and also had two takedowns compared to Raquel's 136 total 
and 114 significant strikes. Now, Raquel is on a four-fight winning streak against good competition after the loss to Holly Holm, and she now moves up three spots to number four in the rankings. Aspen, she's on a two-fight losing streak and hasn't won since December of 2019. Uh, Obviously dealt with some injuries in that mix as well, but now she moves down three spots to number seven and is in a desperate need for a, a victory just as a fighter, just feeling, you know, what a victory is like, getting that positive momentum into your next fight camp uh, will be huge. So what can be next for these ladies? I could see Raquel getting another quality victory to earn a, a, a title shite, a, a title shite, a title shot, maybe Yana Kunskaya or Irene Aldana, who was originally booked. And for Aspen, I could see her taking on Leah Letson, get back in the win column, get some shit back together. And then the fe- the future phenom, whatever we want to call him, Ian Gary with unanimous decision over Darian Weeks. And uh, I'll just say this fight was underwhelming. You know, it wasn't a close fight like the others, but I'm not sure if Gary, you know, was purposely trying to get, in the, get some ring time in, get a little bit more experience in. Uh, but I wasn't really in- impressed with the showing. I did watch his MMA hour today. It's Tuesday. Uh, 3.55, April 12th, as I film this now. Uh, but I was watching the MMA Hour while I was working today, and he talked about, you know, just him, the weeks being kind of a a slow pace striker, wanting uh, Gary to come in. He could counter. Gary said that was psychotic. He felt great about the fight. But as a fan, as a guy that, you know, this guy's supposed to be at the highest level, you know, he's talking like, I'm the next Connor, Ireland, yada, yada. I just, I'm not seeing it. I, I really am not seeing it, uh, but we will see. We will see. Um, statistically, Ian landed 80 total and 74 significant strikes compared to Darian's 60 total and 40 significant. Uh, he also had a takedown as well. Ian now stays undefeated with two UFC wins, seven Cage Warrior wins, while Darian is on a two-fight losing streak, both of those being in the UFC, after his promotion from the LFA. So for Ian, maybe next, Jack Madalena or Matt Semmelsberger. And for Darian, I could see Mike, uh, Michael Gilmore, uh, who was on the ultimate last season, Ultimate Fighter, has been struggling to get some wins uh, since he's been in the UFC. That seems appropriate to me. And then we get into the main card, a fight that got pulled from early prelims, actually. No, nah, it was probably the prelims into the main card uh, due to some of these fights pulling off. Uh, including the Jarzinho Rosen strike fight that I was excited about. But Mark Madsen with the unanimous decision over Vince Pichel. And uh, unlike the Pennington fight, I was surprised on how close this fight really was. I thought Madsen would easily get him down, you know, get some ground and pound, grind him out, maybe get a finish, if not a clear unanimous decision. Uh, but this fight was a lot closer than a unanimous decision. You know, you know, sure, he may have won each round 10-9, but it, it, they were tight rounds and Vince had his moments. Uh, it just goes to show that being just a good wrestler at age 37 isn't going to be enough to vault, you know, the Olympian, Madsen in this case, into the top dogs of the division. Um, you weren't too sure early on. It's like, dang, he's looking good. Maybe he can, you know, even though he's older, make a run up to some contenders. Uh, I just don't know if I, I believe in that now after watching this fight. Statistically, Mark landed 57 total and 39 significant strikes with three takedowns compared to Vince's 88 total and 68 significant strikes with the takedown. 
I did take Mark in this uh, bout where I placed the bet. He was an underdog, so it was a nice little underdog bet uh, about that I did get uh, correct, but I was definitely nervous throughout the fight. Uh, Vince is on a one-fight losing streak now after three wins in a row, and Mark stays undefeated with four of those wins being in the UFC. So what's next for Mark? I could see him taking on Drew Dober, a little extra step up, a guy that's been kind of hot and cold of late, or Alexander Hernandez. And for Vince, I could see Scott Holzman or Nezrat Haparist. Either way, you know, there's not a lack of opponents in this division. And then my Bay getting the W. What a fucking fight this was, man, to, to get things prepped up, to get that momentum going. The Madsen fight was pretty good, but not high energy. And this really set the tone for the rest of the night. I bet you Jacksonville was going fucking insane. Mackenzie Dern with the split decision victory over Tisha Torres. And she is staking a claim and saying, I am well-rounded enough. I can compete enough everywhere to have competition, to be a true contender. I'm still young. I can have an opportunity at a title fight because the fight against Marina, Rod uh, yeah, Marina Rodriguez, I believe that's her last name, um, really showed some holes in her game. And obviously she's, you know, continually working on her striking and getting better. And as a, a mother, you know, just all the things that people have to deal with outside the octagon, you just never know. But I was so impressed with this performance and what a fight it was. Um, you know, I expected this to be close. You know, like I said, it's like Two-Face giving you the coin, uh, the fate of destiny. Um, but Tisha wasn't as aggressive as I'm used to, you know, from what I'm used to seeing from the tiny tornado. Um, she talked on IG. She made a post after the fight saying that she was kind of timid and, and wasn't flowing the way she normally does because of McKenzie's BJJ skills, which is, you know, very, 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 you know, that makes sense. You know, that's good knowledge for her to do that. But you can't change the fighter that you are even, you know, you can't be worried about someone's strengths um, and, and shy away from your strengths, right? If I'm Shaq and there's a good defender, I'm not going to stop dunking because that guy's a good defender. I'm going to keep fucking dunking. And if there's room for other things going on, I could find it um, and I could adjust on the fly, but I'm not going to take away from my strengths either. And I was very impressed with, with the confidence that McKenzie brought. Um, you know, the ability for Tisha to last in some of the deep waters that she got in, in the second round, those submissions in the second round were really deep, really harmful. Um, I thought she was going to be in a position where she was probably a couple seconds away from tapping at one point, but she fought through them and, and, and you know, that that's not an easy person to be put into you know, if you're in, in someone's guard, they're throwing submissions at you and you're deep into a submission attempt, like 60, 70 plus percent into like a submission to get out of that takes a lot of heart, a lot of thinking. It's like playing chess, right? But also just a lot of determination to just whatever I have to do, I have to do it. And you can't panic in those situations. A lot of fighters, when you fight these high level BJJ um, martial artists, is you get put in that position, you're like, holy shit. You know, I'm, I'm 40%. I'm closer to being submitted than I am getting out. And uh, you panic, you start freaking out, and then it allows them to get that deeper exactly where they want it to go. So I was just very impressed by both women fighters in this fight, but for Tisha to be able to battle through that. And I thought that she might come on strong in the third to get the finish, and that not to get the finish, but to, to win, win the fight. But it wasn't, that's not quite how it played out. 
I, I do think you could kind of say it went either way. I had been drinking at this point. I didn't buy the pay-per-view, so I can't watch them back. When, I, when this is available on Fight Patch to watch back, I'd, I'd love to watch this fight back um, to see if I do agree with this decision. I think it does make sense, though. But um, again, I, I wasn't you know super focused and like really had my scorecard um, you know, ability going and, and knowledge of, of the fight I'm drinking. I'm, I'm chatting with the people. Oh, shit, this, that. You know, Mackenzie this, Mackenzie that. Um, so that's just kind of how it played out. But a fun fucking fight. Got the bar high, set the stage. Uh, statistically, you know the stats definitely play a little bit into uh, Tisha's um, hand. I, I, I mean, I guess. But strike wise, she landed seventy-eight total. Seventy-six of those were significant, compared to McKenzie's fifty-eight total and fifty significant. And she did have those three submission attempts, two of those in the second round. Um, but how do you score someone who's getting really deep on submission attempts compared to striking, right? Um, I, I mean, clearly McKenzie won the first round. I think Tisha won the first. So how do you play out that third round? Now, McKenzie starts a new winning streak and gets the best name she's had in the win column, in my opinion. And because of that, she moves up to number four in the rankings. While Tisha, uh, she has her three-fight winning streak come to an end. And she, she starts a new losing streak, but doesn't drop in the rankings. She stays at number seven. McKenzie went one spot up to get that number four. Now, what's next for these ladies? I would love to see Mackenzie take on Yan Chignon. And for Tisha, I think she's going to need the division to shake out a little bit. I've talked about this with a lot of fighters in the strawweight division uh, because a lot of these fighters are booked right now. But maybe uh, Amanda Lemos, if she loses to Jessica Andrade, that would make sense to me. Um, but we'll see. There's just a lot of fighters booked right now. So we got to kind of see how things shake out. And then the fight that I was most excited for, the fight that Kazma, Kamza, as much as he's done already in the UFC, as hype as he is, as much following and as much of a brand that he's built. You know, I'm a Till fan, so him and Till, I love the feed off. He's kind of like this enigma. And Daniel Cormier was talking about this a little bit, that he said he should stop talking and keep that enigma piece of like, who is Kamza? You hear these stories of him in Sweden, overseas. You know, he doesn't speak a lot. He just comes out, kills, and then in the interviews, like, I'll smash everyone. I'll fight everyone in the same day, WWE status. And you know, like, no matter how talented you are, you can't do that. And not even that, but now you're getting Gilbert fucking Burns, a motherfucker. So we're really going to see where you're at, Chemaev. And uh, it was just so interesting as I was like, you know, obviously gave you guys my analysis and predictions last week. And I feel like he's exactly where I expected him to be. I fi figured this fight would be a banger. I figured Gilbert would win by decision. And this is a fight that I would love to watch back to the point, you know, I had had some drinking. I had a shot on this one lost from here. It got a little crazy, but um, I would love to see just watching very tuned in how this would play out because as a fan where you're just feeding off the energy, you're not quite thinking like, yeah, he landed some more strikes or, you know, comes out was controlling the octagon, which I think that's really what won him the fight is he was really controlling the pace, the whole fight. So it probably was deservedly. So comes victory, but I think you could easily put a script where Gilbert does it because Gilbert had some big moments. He landed some huge shots and he was able to, as much as Kamzat was coming forward, land big shots against the cage, 
and, and put himself in good positions. But I think the big knockdown, I mean, they judge knockdown so high. That plus the the, the pace of um and the and the coming forward of Kamzat, you know, that's part of the scoring. I think that played a big part, but um I feel like if I was in the the arena, which I felt like I was, I'm in the bar, you know, I told the lady to turn up the volume higher because I want to hear the post-fight interviews and all that shit. You know, it, it's loud in there, everyone's acting like it's a fight. And uh, I just felt like everyone was pro Burns, even though people picked and were rooting for Kamzat. Um, and Ian Gary had said that, you know, they're teammates uh, at the same gym. But he was saying that based off not even being biased from being a teammate, he thought being in Jacksonville, you would have thought Gilbert won. Uh, when they announced Kamzat, I wasn't shocked at all. You know, when they announced Mackenzie Dern, I was a little like, oh, really? Damn, what did I miss? Um, which usually when I'm at home, I have my 82-inch TV. I'm locked in, right? I'm tweeting. I'm like, ah, nope, they fucked that up. Ah, no, nope, that's bullshit. Here it's like I was a little all over the place. It's hard to say. But goddamn, what a fight this was. Um, these guys are on another level. Um, this one fight of the night, no fucking surprise there. Uh, I don't think it was better than Chandler and Gaethje, but everyone wants to say that, you know, this is the... People see fights like this immediately. Best fight ever. Hands down, best fight ever, fight of the year, fight of the night. You know, it's like, chill, chill. Because we're on those emotions, that's just where everyone wants to jump to. Um, I liked the chandler uh, Gaethje fight more, personally. I felt like that was straight gladiator style. Um, but to be honest, the pace at which this fight went, <laughs> bravo to the fighters. Like, you know, bravo fucking O. Going and going and going. Three three rounds of just fucking smashing each other up. As a fight fan, you got to love it. And as UFC fans, we get to know a lot more about Kamzad. He's not this enigma anymore. He is human, right? We saw him meet with Burns pre-fight, post-fight. Um, him talking with Till and you know his kids and their family. And they're like, oh, that's so adorable and all this stuff. But it also shows that to come from only a few fights in the UFC... You know, no offense to Li Jing Lang, but the, the skill level of Li Jing Lang to Gilbert fucking Burns and in a war that tests all of your mental ability, all of your strength, all of your cardio, everything you've done in fight camp to be able to fight like that. He has a heart of a champion. And I, I, I'm, you know, everyone already said that, you know, a lot of analysts and fight fans want the hot takes. I do, too. But hey, he's going to be a champion. And I wasn't sure about that. Now, do I think he could beat Kamaru Usman tomorrow? Or if that was the fight, I don't think so. But I do think he's young enough that he'll have an opportunity to be a fight uh, champion. And it might not be in this weight class because he's huge. And I don't know if he could keep making those weight cuts. You know, we didn't get to see a lot on embedded of his weight cuts or how intense it is. He's probably trying to keep that, you know, hold back a little bit. I know he doesn't leak a lot of film out. Um, but yeah, he's got a heart of a champion. He does have feelings. It's great to know that. Who is this fucking guy? Chemaev, what is his, you know, brand? Who is he really as a human? I like that aspect. I love humanizing athletes, who they really are. So I'm excited about this fucking podcast. Get people in. You know, I'm going to focus on MMA. Let people tell their stories. What? Why the fuck MMA? This is a crazy sport. You know, how are you building your brand? What are you doing to, to make a life out of this when you really don't get paid amazingly unless you are a super superstar and you have to put the building blocks in to get there? I'm excited to have those stories, have those discussions, have some MMA guys watch the fights live and and, and react and, and and do those types of things. That's the vision that I have. And uh, it, it's cool to see what who he is. And I'm more of a fan of him now 
I wasn't a huge fan, you know, in sports, you usually pick one side or the other. And a lot of these big names, you know, Kobe LeBron or, you know, um, I don't know, any two athletes that are at a high level at the same time, you're usually on one person's band camp or the other, right? Like I, it was for me, it was Peyton Manning or Tom Brady. Fuck Tom Brady. I'm, I'm pro Peyton Manning. And for me, it was like the UFC and then Kamzat, right? Kind of like when Michael Chandler came in, it was, you know, fuck Bellator. It's UFC, then Chandler. I became aware of who Chandler was, hearing his stories, and now I'm a huge fan. I don't think I'll be that big of a fan of Kamzat just because I everyone's already so pro Kamzat. Um, but yeah, this I have no doubt in my mind this this man will be a champ one day to go from Lijing Lane to Burns, perform like that. Fucking A, man. Uh, that's just the shit you love to... Those are the stories that need to happen every once in a while and that you love to be told. And it's just great to humanize him a little bit. When we do look at the stats... Um, Burns landed 141 total and 119 significant compared to Kamzat's 124 total and 108 significant strikes with two takedowns and a knockdown. Now Burns starts a losing streak. He's lost two of his last three fights, obviously to Chimaev and, 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 uh, Usman. So, you know, no chumps. Um, but he drops down two spots to number four. And I love that they gave Chimaev the ranking that they did. But he's a fucking rocket ship, unlike we've seen in a long, long time. He stays undefeated. He hops into the rankings with five UFC fights. That's it. Five UFC fights, all victories. He now moves up eight spots to number three in a very, very competitive division. So up next, they've already talked about Kamzat getting locked in with Colby Covington. They've already showed Vegas odds. Uh, uh, Colby would actually be the underdog in that fight. I'd really have to think about it. I think I'd probably pick Kamzat in that fight after this Burns fight as well. Um, Cause he's just so fucking big and Usman makes Colby look big. I couldn't imagine, you know, what a Kamzat looks like in there, but uh, Gilbert's asking for a rematch. I would absolutely love that. A five round uh, fight rematch. I think that's more deserving than anything. Do I think that'll happen? Absolutely not. Kamzat, if he wants to build his brand right, doesn't want to, you know, that was a close fight. Does not want to fight that motherfucker again, especially five rounds. Um, so I could see Gilbert taking on the winner of Vicente Luque and Bilal Muhammad, which is happening this weekend. And we'll break into that here earlier or here in a bit. And then the co-main event, the Bantamweight championship. Um, a lot of people say that the Bantamweight division is the best in the UFC. I will say the lightweight is currently, but the Bantamweight is right there. I mean, this division one through 30 is fucking stacked and there's people that are, sitting in the rankings at 25, 28, that are probably going to be contending or being winning a UFC championship. That's how much skills they're just young, crazy athletic talent. And much like college wrestling, that, that weight class is just fucking deadly. You get the mix of speed and athleticism. It's not like massive guys like Burns and Chimaev with the straight power, but you get a mix of everything. And it's just spectacular to watch, in my opinion. Now, in this fight, we already know what we were getting. The, the final decision, Aljamain Sterling, split decision over Pewter Yan, kind of shocking a lot of people. I don't think it shocked me as much. And if you've watched, you're, you're, you're tuning in to my MMA takes on business at Buckets every week. I picked Aljamain the first fight. I actually ended up winning money because of the DQ and the knee. I picked the round, fourth round or something like that. 
Um, I picked Fury on this fight. I believe I get, gave Aljamain more credit than most other people out there. Nobody was giving him the any breath of light. You know, Vegas, he was a massive underdog. That's why I had bet on him because I knew that the Burns fight and this fight were so close that those massive underdogs, I think I would have won like 500 bucks on, I don't even know, 20 bucks or something like that. Um, but Aljamain's very, very fucking capable, man. He's made some high-level fighters look not high-level. And uh, he had a great game plan. He literally saw all the things he fucked up in the first fight and fixed them this time. Um, the biggest thing was not running out of gas, not coming out like fucking Sonic the Hedgehog and trying to, you know, fuck this guy up. And I, I felt like he was trying to prove something that first fight. He, he doesn't get the love that he deserves. He's trying to prove it. He went above and beyond, went like a psycho uh, and, and gassed out by the third round. And that clearly co cost him. But he got the job done like a champion would here. He focused on his strength. He picked his shots. He didn't try to shoot 30 times and gas out. He found his shots, found his openings, controlled Pewter a lot of the fight. You know, this was a five-round fight, so there's lots of time in there. I do not agree with this decision. Again, I was at a bar. I was drinking. I need to be able to rewatch this to give a, you know, a, a true how I feel. But in the moment, I, I was tuned in. Uh, Aljamain got that takedown early and was taking his back. I was like, oh boy, like, you know, Gilbert sadly just lost. So I lost that parlay, but you know, I'm a proponent of, of Aljamain. I think Pewter Jan's a little overrated. Um, some people are saying maybe the pound for pound in the UFC, you know, the best boxer. Uh, and you know, these are completely different styles, boxer versus grappler wrestler. Um, so it's hard to say, but I just feel like he's not, he's not at the Usman level of this division. Like a lot of people thinks he is. We'll say it like that. There's just too much talent in this division, Aljamain including. And uh, I just, I don't know. I, I thought that Pewter clearly won this fight. Um, I, I'm not too sure how they got this decision unless they gave a 10-8 round um, because he got takedown two rounds. So you're, you're telling me that Pewter lost, what, round two? I believe it was. It was round one or round two that was very close without the takedown. I can't remember. I think it was round one, maybe. So you're saying Aljamain round one, won round one, or he gave him a 10-8 round, which makes no sense. Uh, th that's why the scoring like these, I want to have a decision. It's like, well, how did they judge him, right? Was there a 10-8? Then I know where this is coming from, and I could tell you if that's true or not. They should have to at least like own up to the scorecards or something. It shit drives me crazy, but I don't agree with it. So fuck that. Regardless... I thought Peter was a little off. Um, I don't know if he's just so sick of Aljamain or he just wanted to put him out early, but he wasn't the crisp, bo crisp boxer that we have come to know. He had a little bit of loopy shots. He was trying to do a little too much, and he wasn't as pure and clean. I don't think he necessarily stuck to his game plan, which may prove one point. If, if you remember, you know he was asking people on social media to corner him. Uh, supposedly, Sean was supposed to. Sean O'Malley didn't show up. Um, I don't think he had anyone there. I, I can't remember who was in his corner, but he didn't have his coaches in his corner visa issues, traveling issues from overseas. And, uh, maybe he did have his coaches and team in his corner. He would get, you know, the pieces of advice each round or, Hey, I'm seeing this. Cause you can't see everything. Shit happened so fast, especially I think the first takedown was in the second round and he was grappled that whole round. Right? So you're already like, you only get so much time in your corner. You have no coaching advice. And you're just scrambling, like, holy fuck, you know, he wasn't able to do that the first fight. What do I do here? Okay, I'm just going to go finish this guy. You get these loopy shots. I mean, 
You know, there's a myriad of reasons of why this could have happened. But I think that maybe the coaches in this corner definitely played a part here. But, you know, I'm not trying to steal thunder for Algeman. I want to give him more thunder than anybody. Props, props for getting him down, sticking to a good, good game plan. That's what champions do. Now, statistically, Aljo landed 91 total and 62 significant strikes with two takedowns compared to Pewter's 139 total and 63 significant. So clearly Pewter outstruck him. There's no sh shock there. Aljamain, I'm pretty sure it was around two and four. They got the takedowns. Those are the rounds that he won. So again, unless they're giving Aljamain, you know, the first round was close. Uh, I don't know how Aljamain won that fight the, or that round though. And unless they did a 10-8, it just doesn't add up to me. But I'm curious to see. So those two takedowns, he had at least one more attempt, right? So they're saying two takedowns of 22 attempts. I don't remember 22 attempts there. That's crazy if that's the real number. 22 attempts? I wish I, I could re recollect a little better. Um, That's insane, though. If that's the case, then that, that makes no sense why Aljamain would win. But... um. Where are these guys at now? Aljamain's on a seven-fight winning streak since the DQ. Um, you know, that was technically a win. Um, well, this is technically Pewter's first loss because I'm not counting the DQ as a loss for him. He was clearly winning that fight. Was it, you know, le uh, not legal? Uh, of course, yeah, yeah. But uh, I don't think that should count as a loss for him. This was like, hey, this is the real fight. Now he lost. Okay, it is what it is. That's brutal for a guy, though. You know, he was on a... Uh, what was it? A ten or first row loss? I think it was a ten fight winning streak or something like that. Um, but now he, ha you know, he has he has a loss or no? Ten fight? Yeah, I think he was on a ten fight winning streak. Had the DQ, has this, you know, all that just looks like shit. As a fighter, you want to keep that going. It builds your brand of being a pound for pound, a goat of the division. Um, but now Pewter's gonna have to work his way back up. <laughs> Sounds like Dana wants Aljo versus TJ, which would make sense. I, I mean, TJ needs to get in the mix here, right? You could run this back, but that's going to be hella dramatic. It probably not happen till late fall. Then where does TJ go? Um, so get Aljo and TJ in a little bit of new blood. Um, I do think TJ wins that fight to be determined if that actually happens. And we'll talk about it in the future. We'll save that for future sakes. Uh, but I think Pewter, first up, Jose Aldo. Give him a legend. That'd be a phenomenal fucking fight. Uh, an amazing fight and then the winner of that gets the winner of aljo tj so there you go right back in the mix right pewter's a savage he'll do his thing he'll fight whoever the fuck you give him and then him and aljamain can fight around the same time then if he does win they can fight or he could fight tj or whatever the hell it looks like and then the main event um i know this was the last fight i know look coming in we're talking about the fight ready preparedness the embedded kind of get you drawn in a little bit but clearly, it's a guy in his prime. No disrespect to Zombie, a guy past his prime. I am honestly surprised it got dragged out this long. But I'm happy it did because I ended up making more money because of it. Uh, but Volkanovski, Alexander fucking Volkanovski with the fourth round TKO over Chan Sung Jung, the Korean motherfucking zombie. He looked more like a zombie in this fight. Um, but this is how I, I, I expected this fight to play out. Um, I enjoy the Korean zombie, but he is definitely, you know, not in his prime. He's taken a ton of damage. He's had time off, um, you know, different spurts of time off, having to serve. 
um, been in some fucking just straight. I mean, you look at the past whatever amount of Korean zombie fights are. It's just straight wars. The Ayer Rodriguez el- spitting elbow with like two seconds left. Um, you know, mad props, but you're running into a guy that's just running through guys. And uh, I thought this fight damn near was over in round three. Uh, but Volk finished business in round four, and I appreciate that. As he, he made me some cash money. Um, but statistically, Volk landed 152 total and 138 significant strikes with four takedowns and a knockdown compared to Chan's 51 total and 48 significant. Obviously lopsided. So now Volk's on a 21-fight winning streak. While Korean Zombie starts a new losing streak, he has lost two of his last three and drops one spot to number five. I expect Volkanovski to fight Holloway. That was the original fight that was booked. Holloway got hurt. They ended up booking this. Um, Because supposedly he was healthy by the time the Korean Zombie fight got booked. Um, So I would assume that that's next. Dana didn't sound too convinced in the post-UFC conference. Uh, but for the Korean Zombie, I'd love to see him take on Giga Chikadze, who's just coming off a loss, or maybe even Thug Nasty Bryce Mitchell. Either way, the Zombie finds a way in these fights, and I'm sure those names would be absolute fucking chaos. But we're right back in the saddle this weekend. We got a fight night card this Saturday, 5.30 p.m. Pacific start, so more of a, a regular kind of start time, a later start time, like a pay-per-view, uh, like we had this past weekend. And we're going to start breaking it down in the prelims. We have Drakkar Close, 34-year-old fighter with an 11-2-1 record, taking on Brandon, the human highlight reel Jenkins, 30 years old with a 15-8 record. Now, Drakkar is an orthodox fighter out of the MMA lab. He's he's had some time with Fight Ready as well. Uh, He's a purple belt in BJJ. He's on a one-fight losing streak and hasn't fought since March of 2020. And he was supposed to fight Jeremy Stevens, but Jeremy pushed Jakar close at the weigh-ins, got some whiplash, whatever. You know, these are guys are cutting tremendous weight. They have, they're literally about to weigh in from the weight cut, you know, brain fluid, whiplash. I mean, who knows what could happen? So that fight didn't happen. They called it off. Um, but here he is fighting Brandon. He's a heavy favorite. Four of his 11 wins are via knockout. Meanwhile, Brandon trains at a syndicate MMA he has a, had one fight in the UFC where he lost to, to the youngster, Zhu Rong, uh, after he came from the PFL. So I believe Drakkar has been dying to come back, show off the hard work that he's been doing. You know, he's in his prime, the best version of himself, and he has fought some stiff competition in the UFC. Um, I think he's ready to get back on the winning track, track, and I think he does. He's got pretty intense odds. I won't Google it, but... You know, if the odds pay me a decent amount, I will put him on my parlay. We will mark him down, and we will get that bread. Moving on. We got Lena the Elbow Queen Landsberg, 40 years old with a 10-5 and record, and the number 11 next to her name, taking on Penny Banzai Kianzad, 30 years old with a 16-6 and record, and the number 12 next to her name. Now, this is an interesting matchup. It's kind of like the Vandera Olenek fight. There are different positions, right? Lena hasn't fought since January of 2020. She's 40 years old. She's a true vet. 
Pammy's kind of climbing her way through the rankings, had been looking really good until she lost to Raquel Pennington in an amazing fight, you know, and she ended up just winning uh, to keep moving on as well. But Lena has backgrounds in Muay Thai and kickboxing. She was a multiple-time Swedish Muay Thai champion, and she's on a one-fight losing streak and hasn't won since September of 2019. And four of her ten wins are via knockout, but three of her five losses are via knockout as well. A little reckless in there. Panny has a background in boxing and shoot fighting. She has a purple belt in BJJ. She's an Invicta and Ultimate Fighter alum. And she's on a one-fight losing streak after uh, her four-fight winning streak came to an end. And she does have a two-and-a-half-inch reach advantage in this fight. Now, I think Panny's in her prime. She's looked great of late, even the loss against Raquel. So I think this is going to be another good win on her resume. I'm putting her on that parlay. We marking that ish down. And we getting that bread. Moving on. Still in the prelims. We got Devin Brown Bear Clark. 32 years old with a 12 and 6 record. Taking on William Nightmare Knight. 34 years old with an 11 and 3 record. Now this is a big fight for these guys. <coughs> they're both in their fighting primes. And they're also looking to get back, back on the winning track. Devin trains out of Jackson Wink MMA. He was a JUCO All-American at Rochester Community and Technical College where he won a championship. He's coming off a two-fight losing streak, and he has moved around in different weight classes, this one being at heavyweight, which is a little bit newer for him, basically because he was getting beat at light heavyweight. Uh, William knows that story well. Uh, he's on a one-fight winning uh, losing streak, which was in February, so you know, getting right back at it a couple months later. Nine of his 11 wins are via knockout, and he is a Dana White Contender Series alum. You know, Devin has definitely faced different competition. I believe he is more well-rounded. But William, he's got some not true knock-you-the-fuck-out power. And it's going to be a fun one. But I'm taking Devin. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking him down, and we getting that bread. Now moving on to the main card. Not a deep main card. We're only breaking down two fights here. <clears throat> Gotta hydrate. We're breaking down Miguel the Carmel Thunder Beiza, 29 years old with a 10 and 2 record, taking on Andre Fialho, 28 years old with a 14 and 4 record. Now, this is Andre's second UFC fight, and he is up against a very good and skilled Carmel Thunder. Um, Miguel is an orthodox fighter. He was a, he has a black belt in BJJ. He's a Dana White contender series alum, and he is on a two fight losing streak, but the loss against Santiago, Santiago, Santiago earned him a fight of the night award. Three of his last four fights have been performance or fight of the nights. So he's been very, uh, intriguing to watch, so to speak. And seven of his 10 wins are via knockout. Now, Andre trains out of Sanford MMA. 11 of his 14 wins are via knockout. And two of his four losses are via knockout as well. He is coming off a loss in his UFC debut against Michelle Pieta. And I believe Miguel is ready to get back in the victory column. This is his first fight um, in 2022. Um, I think his first fight since about this time last year. So first fight in about a year. And this is going to be big time as he's going to be ready for a finish, keeping those performance and fight of the nights going. 
I'm taking Caramel Thunder. We putting them on that parlay. We marking them down. And we getting that bread. And then the main event of the evening. We got Vicente the Silent Assassin Luque. 30 years old with a 21-7-1 record. And the number four next to his name. Taking on Bilal. Remember the name Muhammad. 33 years old with a 20-3 and record. And the number five next to his name. Well, for these fighters in their primes, this is a huge fight to give them an opportunity to either fight for the title or kind of get pushed back into the mix and have to grind your way back to where you are today. Especially Bilal, you're 33. You take a loss here. You got to fight two, three, four times to get back to where you were, let alone fight for the title and win it. Vicente, he's an orthodox fighter out of Sanford MMA. He has a black belt in BJJ and Luda Livre. He is an Ultimate Fighter alum, and he's on a four-fight winning streak with all of those being finishes. Eight of his last ten fights have been fight of the night or performance of the night, so he's must-see TV. And 11 of his 21 wins are via knockout and eight by submission. What a resume there. Well, Bilal, he's got a purple belt in BJJ. He's on a six-fight winning streak with a no contest against Leon Edwards this past year. He does have a, a good wrestling repertoire. He's mostly a decision-based fighter. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how the styles play out. I'm confidently taking Vicente here. I think he is just on another level. We put him on our parlay, boys. We marking him down, and we getting that bread. Now, next Saturday, the fights keep on coming. We have another fight night card, a 6 p.m. Pacific card. A little bit more of a deeper card than this one, in my opinion. Uh, but it's headlined by the women's division, Jessica Andrade and Amanda Lemos. We'll be tuning in for that and talking about that next week. But now we're going to talk some basketball. We're going to talk about how the regular season finished. We have play-in play games going on as I speak. And I will give you my playoff predictions. But in the league, the Nets wave James Johnson. They got healthy. They said, see you, James. Uh, they waved him right before the postseason. The Lakers, you know, <laughs> typical Laker move, firing Frank Vogel. Uh, supposedly, Quinn Snyder's been in the rumor mill. Quinn says, the way you handled that, I don't even want to talk about the Lakers. Love to hear it as a Jazz fan. Go, Jazz, go. Um, but it'll be interesting to see. There's rumors LeBron's talking about Mark Jackson, which I'm really into that, actually. Um, Alvin Gentry out as the Kings coach. They fired a bunch of their staff as well. The Timberwol uh, Timberwolves signed Greg Monroe for the rest of the season. He had a 10-day with the Jazz. They, you know, He's been kind of skipping around, probably got in shape, and they're wanting some depth in the center, so they signed Mr. Monroe. Steph Curry expected to be back early first round, potentially game one, which is going to play a huge part in how I predict the playoffs. Uh, Steph Curry come cooking. Watch out. The Warriors ain't nobody to play with. And then Luka Doncic suffering a calf strain at the last game of the season. Brutal, brutal news. Um, his timeline is to be determined. You know, he was in a boot. They don't play till Saturday. I doubt he plays game one. Based on what game one does, I'm sure will be the determination of what happens with Luka. But uh, no offense, guys. But the Jazz are going to beat him with or without Luka. Without Luka, it it's going to be easy. 
I know they've been choking fourth quarter leads. I know all this regular season, who blah, who blah. The Jazz win round ones and against good teams. They beat Lob City. Nobody pick them to win that. They've been beating teams a lot of years and they keep getting hate. And now people say, oh, Luka and the Mavericks going to handle them. Chill, 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 y'all, chill. Um, and then the NBA is increasing their salary cap by $27 million going into next year. So them men can get paid some more money. But let's talk about how the end of the season finished after last week's podcast. The big determinations was how is the top of the East going to play out? Two, three, and four. Because most likely uh, the Nets will get the seven seed. So if you earn the two, you earn Brooklyn first round, which is very intriguing. And then there was a little bit of, you know, battling between three, four, five, and six in the West. But it seemed like it was all going to play out um, as the standings were coming into last week's pod. So on Thursday, April 7th, the Raptors beating the Sixers in Toronto, 119-114. to The Raptors were led by Pascal Siakam. This motherfucker been hooping, boys. 37-10-12. He was 1-7 from 3, which isn't great. Uh, uh, but he's been putting up crazy box scores on a week-to-week basis. And uh, guess what? Uh, that might be a little foreshadowing in this matchup. But uh, the Sixers were led by Joel Embiid, 30-10. and 10. He was 0-4 from 3, so neither shot well from 3. And Tyrese Maxey, 22 points, 4-5 from 3 in the Sixers' defeat. The Bucks beating the Celtics in Milwaukee, 127-121. to Some good games here down the stretch. The Bucks were led by Giannis with 29 and 11. He shot the three ball four times, missed all four of them. He's been trying. And uh, Drew Holiday with 29 and eight and eight, just shy of a triple double. Having Drew Holiday play at that level uh, could leapfrog the Tim, uh, Bucks right back into the championship. Meanwhile, the Celtics were led by Marcus Smart, who had 29 and seven. He was seven of 12 from three. Good thing because um, Jalen Brown was 22 points on 20 shots and there was no Jason Tatum in this one. Uh, The Nuggets beating the Grizzlies in Denver, 122-109. to Oops, almost closed that out. Uh, The Nuggets were led by, you already know, Nikola Jokic, 35-16 on 24 shots. Nice line from Nikola. And then the Grizz were led by uh, Desmond Bain, who had 14 points. They had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven players in double digits. And this was the last game before, um, oh, geez, Uh, John Morant had returned. I thought I was about to blank his name. Like, come on, man. Uh, But no John Morant. They play competitively. The Warriors beating the Lakers 128 to 112. The Lakers season all but over and the beat uh, squad comes in. So no surprise here. The Warriors were led by Klay Thompson trying to get hot for the playoffs. The Splash Brother puts up 33 points, 6 of 10 from 3. And the Lakers were led by Talon Horton Tucker. He said, hey, I'm going to be on this roster next year. 40 points um, for Talon Horton, uh, Horton Tucker on 28 shots in the defeat for the Lake Show. Moving on to Friday. Is there anything up? Uh, play-in game preview, potentially. Uh, the Nets beating the Cavaliers 118-107. to 107. This was in Brooklyn. Um, the Nets were led by KD, who had 36-5-5. Five five. He was 4-6 from 3. 
And the Cavaliers were led by Darius Garland, who had 31 points. Um, Jarrett Allen will be out for their play-in game, uh, but definitely a little foretelling there as the Nets win at home. Miami beating Atlanta 113-109 in Miami, in South Beach. Uh, Miami was led by Bam Adebayo, who had 24-6-4. Um, didn't have the full squad th uh, uh, in this game, but didn't need them. And Trey Young, Ice Trey, leading the Hawks 35-8. or 35 and eight. Uh, He was 3-11 of 11 from 3, and that was on 23 shots. The Hornets beat the Bulls in Chicago 133-117. to the Bulls had been on a skid going four of six in their last 10. Chicago was led by Zach Levine, who had 23 and seven. Not a very efficient game. And then um, LaMelo Ball with 24 and nine for the Hornets in victory. They had three, four, five, six, seven players in double digits as well. The Suns choke again in the fourth quarter. They lose to the, to the Suns 105-111 uh, in Utah. Tough loss, potential playoff preview. Both squads playing the full units um, on the Friday before playoffs. The Suns were led by Devin Booker, who had 33 points on 26 shots. So not a super efficient game. Uh, but Utah was led by Bojan Bogdanovic. Nice to have him in the lineup. 21-7. and seven. Uh, The Jazz shot 28.9% from three. The Suns 31. Really close ball game to the end. But somehow the Jazz collapsed in the fourth once again. Moving into Saturday, teams are starting to rest players. Um, the Warriors beating the Spurs in, in San Antonio as the Spurs uh, getting ready for a play-in game. And then Sunday, the Cavaliers beat the B squad for the Bucks. Kevin Love snaps for 32-10. and 10. Love to see it. Boston beats the B squad for... Um, the Grizzlies, Tatum goes for 31 and 31 and 9 in victory for the Celtics. The Bulls beat the Timberwolves B squad in Minnesota 124-120. Patrick Williams with a nice line. Good to see him back healthy. 35-4 and 4. And Luka gets hurt in this game as the Mavericks beat the Spurs 130 to 120 in Dallas. He puts up 26-8 and 9. Keldon Johnson with 24 and 6 to, to well, I guess they have the play-in game, but to finish a nice regular season for Mr. Keldon Johnson. A little bit of overtime fun, even though a lot of starters out as the Nuggets lose to the Lakers. Austin Reeves with 31-16-10. Boogie Cousins 17-9-5. And, and then I saw Utah smoke the C-Squad Trailblazers 111-80. It was nice seeing Jared Butler get some minutes. Um, they were led by... Juancho Hernan, Hernan Gomez, who's had a great, been a great ad for the Jazz. He had 22 and 80. He was four or seven from three. The only guy that could hit from three is they shot a terrible 25%. Jared Butler with 11 and three, uh, 22 minutes. And then Portland was le led by uh, this guy that I've never heard before. Reggie Perry, 20 points, eight rebounds. Uh, but it was great to see an NBA game in action, see some of the new faces in the Jazz game. Mike Conley, you know, pulled out the, the nice hair and, and started going fro Conley. He's getting the fro ready for the playoffs, getting that swag ready as they look to make a run. And today, Tuesday, two play-in games. It's funny, I assume that this would be the case, but the Brooklyn is up huge at home already on TNT in the first play-in game. We got Clippers, Timberwolves, 
later this evening. That is the game of the play-in games, in my opinion. Uh, Minnesota's favored by three at home. I actually picked the Clippers. You got Paul George. You got uh, Powell back in the lineup. I think that star power will do enough. But the Timberwolves have been scrappy all year. They have a good shooting night. They could beat a lot of teams. So this one is going to be a blast. I uh, can't wait to tune in after this. And then tomorrow, we have the Hornets uh, traveling to Atlanta to play the Hawks in the 9-10. And then the Spurs playing the Pelicans in the 9-10. So hypothetically, obviously, I picked the Nets, picked the Clippers, right? So if the Nets win, they're automatically in 7. Um, the Clippers win. They will play the loser of the Nets game, which would be the Cavaliers, which I would then put the Clippers in at the 8 seed. Um, with the, I would, I'm going to go with the Hornets, a little upset, the Hawks favored by five. Um, I, I don't know. I really do think they are better with Gordon Hayward and he is out for the playing game, but with no John Collins, you know, no, a lot of star power for the Hawks. I'm going to go with the Hornets winning, which means they'd play the loser of Spurs Pelicans. I'm taking the Pelicans there. Pelicans favored by five and a half. So it'd be Hornets, Spur, or Hornets. The winner of that versus the loser. Okay, so I got it backed up. The Hornets would then play the Cavaliers. I I would take the... Ooh, no Jared Allen. I don't know, man. Let me look at this lineup real quick. Let's see who the Cavaliers. Laurie, Mobley, Garland, Levert, Kevin Love. Ah, Jarrett Allen will make a huge difference here. Obviously, Colin Sexton. The Hornets don't know how to play defense, though. I'm going to go with the Cavaliers getting the eight seed, the Brooklyn Nets getting the seven. And then in the West, I, I lied. The Clippers win. That's seventh, eighth. They already get the seventh. Uh, so I have Clippers with the seventh. And then because I'm picking the Pelicans, it would be Pelicans versus Timberwolves. I'm wondering what the Timberwolves in the eight seed. So this game will be seven, eight. And then I have Cavaliers. So both the teams playing today are the play, the, the, the seeded teams. It would be Nets seven, Cavs eight, Clippers seven, Timberwolves eight. First action happened Saturday and then Sunday with some of the games already predicted. The lines are out. So early game on Saturday, I'm going to San Diego this weekend, get some sunshine, get the hell out of this cloudy Pacific Northwest for a little bit. So Saturday morning, starting your day, 10 o'clock a.m. Pacific with Jazz Mavericks, probably no Luka Doncic. Utah's favored by four and a half on the road. That's assumptively, I'm assuming, the line without Luka. Um, I'm taking the Jazz in six here regardless, with or without Luka. I do think the Mavs with home court advantage find a way. You know, the Jazz been choking it out a little bit. Um, the Jazz might be tinkering with some rotation stuff, so it'll be interesting to see what they do as I assume uh, the Mavericks go with the small ball lineup, which supposedly is the kink in the Jazz armor. Uh, but I am going to go with the Jazz regardless in six in this series. Then we have uh, the Grizz versus To Be Determined. The Grizz finished as the second seed. So that would say hypothetically... Um, that they will get the seven seed, which would be the Clippers. Clippers versus Grizzlies. What a series. Paul George, they got Powell back. No Kawhi Leonard. John Morant and the Grizzlies back. 
the Clippers, a tough playoff team that's been there, done that. Whew. Man, I'm just going to go with the Grizz just for excitement. But if the Clippers do get that seven seed, I, I'm really going to have to think about it. Um, but there's a lot that could happen until then. Injuries to the Clippers, those types of things that, you know, it's hard to say that they're just going to be healthy and things. But if the Clippers are healthy, this is one hell of a 2-7 series. Either way, I think this goes 6 or 7. This is going to be a great first-round series. And then we have the Sixers hosting the Raptors. They had just lost to the Raptors. Well, that's why I was like a little foreshadowing here. Uh, Philly's favored by 4.5 in Game 1. I'm going to give the Sixers the advantage in 6. James Harden has to show out. You know, I want out of Houston. I want out of Brooklyn. Drama, drama, drama. You're where you want to be. You got a star center. You have some players around you. You can't lose in round one. As good as the Raptors are, they're still a young core. I just don't think they have enough. I'm one with Phillies in six. These first round series, though, aren't going to be no clean sweeps. And then the Warriors taking on the Nuggets. Uh, Steph Curry does play early, at least by game two. I'm going with Warriors in six here. If he's delayed, things get interesting. So it'll be great to see the official timeline of when Steph Curry's looking to play. Is he minute restricted? Is he, you know, condition? What, what's the specifics? Uh, but either way, I'm most likely going Warriors without Michael Porter Jr., without Jamal Murray. It's going to be a lot to ask for uh, the Denver Nuggets to win without home court advantage. Pulling up the bracket, too, so we can talk about hypothetical second, third rounds, and so forth. There we go. And then heading into Sunday, uh, we will have the Celtics versus to be determined. Hypothetically, the Nets are already cruising. I am going with the Nets beating Boston, even though there's home court advantage. I have them beating Boston in six or seven, uh, depending on how clean they come out of this game. Uh, let's get another little score update here. Yeah, I mean, they're up 16 before half, so should be pretty clean sweep here. Uh, so I'm going to go with Brooklyn in six over the Celtics. The Celtics have been playing great ball late. Um, they have been locked down better defensively. No Robert Williams. I just don't know how you stop KD. KD showed last year in the playoffs. He was here and everyone else was here. If he didn't wear a size 14 shoe or whatever it is, he might have been able to keep progressing in the playoffs and I wanted to lose some money. But it's hard for me to pick against the, the Nets. Um, you know, I give zero shits about Ben Simmons. You know, like I said, even if he comes back, do you want him to play at this point? Uh, maybe just as a defensive dude. But uh, I think they're going to be good enough to beat the Celtics. Which would set us up for Heat versus... Oh, geez. I already forgot. They're the one seed, so they get the eight, which I'm saying would be the Hornets. That's a clean sweep. I'm going with Miami in four. What a great earning spot that was for Miami, getting the one seed, getting home court, getting a pretty big lesser opponent. So I am going with Heat in four, round one. Uh, Bucks hosting the Bulls are favored by 10 in Milwaukee on Sunday. Um, I'm going with the Bucks in five here. I'll give the Bulls one win. But the Bucs are too well-rounded defensively and offensively. Giannis is going to have a heyday with that Bulls defense. And then we have Suns versus hypothetical eight versus... So if they're the seven, Timberwolves are eight. So Suns versus Timberwolves. Timberwolves are scrappy. I'll give them one. I got Suns in five with the home court advantage. Um, hopefully Chris Paul stays healthy. Fingers crossed. 
Love CP3 to get a ring. Obviously, I'm pro Jazz. But if the Jazz wouldn't win, I'm rooting for the Suns. So, with that in mind, Jazz beat Mavericks in six. Suns beat um, Timberwolves in five. That would set up Jazz versus Suns. Phoenix having home court advantage. I really would like to choose pick the Jazz here. I think they could honestly have a chance. That Phoenix game in Utah had a lot of playoff implications with it. Uh, the Jazz were up most of the game. They blew a fourth quarter lead. To me, the biggest difference is going to be Donovan Mitchell closing out games, the way they facilitate their offense. A lot of teams are going to go small ball on them. The Suns not being one of them. But they got to be able to give the ball to fucking Rudy Gobert down low. And he needs to catch it and not, you know, fake foul and sit there and bitch about it. You grab that ball. You fucking pump fake or make a strong man move and dunk the fucking ball. And then on your way to dunk, maybe you get fouled. Cool. We don't have to bitch about it. But when you do the, you know, the fucking flop shit, then they never call it. Then you're sitting there. Then they go and score in transition. That's really the biggest difference that I've seen. I watch the Jazz every game all year long. They got to be able to get him the ball, though. He's sitting there. You know, they play this fucking small ball lineup, especially against Dallas, and they don't give him the ball. He's being guarded by fucking, who knows, Jalen Brunson right down low. No, go Nova. Love you, Jalen. But Rudy Gobert dunking that shit. That's the difference. Bojan can hit. Conley can hit. Donovan can hit. If Donovan ain't hitting, Conley's hitting. If Conley ain't hitting, Bogdanovich hitting. You get the fucking point. But I can't pick this. I, I can't. I lost so much faith in my Utah Jazz. Uh, the way the end regular season finished. And I hope that they were just playing for the playoffs or sick of being the regular season heroes. I truly believe that's part of it. Uh, but the Suns are just too deep. Mikel Bridges is going to be all up Donovan's ass. Another Nova Nation player. My Jazz playing my Nova Nation guys. Um, but that's going to be close. I think it does go six or seven, and people are going to be surprised. The sad part is, if it gets closed out, the Jazz are blowing shit up, and it might not be all in the offseason. It will be at the trade deadline next year as well. Um, but uh, the Jazz need to minimally get to the Western Conference Finals if they, they want to have... The team that we know today being returned, that could include Conley, that could include Rudy Gobert, that could include Bogdanovich, it could include damn near everyone, Jordan Clarkson. This could be a completely, completely Portland-like situation if they do not win and get into the Western Conference Finals at a bare minimum. So that would set us up with Warriors beating the Nuggets, uh, Grizz beating the Clippers, which is going to be... I'm going to have to come back to that one next week once we see, you know, who's healthy, what's going on tonight. You know, did the Clippers play a dragon out matchup? You know, just what's what? Uh, but hypothetically, Grizz versus Warriors. I am going with Warriors. I love the Grizz. They're a great team. They've been a great story. They're kind of like the Jazz a couple years ago, getting the one seed and two seed in regular season. They just aren't there yet. You, you look at playoff teams, you have to have core pieces. They don't have enough shooting. It is what it is. Ja is going to be demanded a lot. Um, you're going to have to have guys doing things that they're, you know, Dylan Brooks is going to need to put up 30 a night. I just do not see that happening. The Warriors are a sound team. As long as Steph Curry is healthy, again, Steph Curry is not healthy, I might switch. But I'm going with Warriors there, which has set us up for Suns, Warriors, Western Conference Finals. Holy shit, what a, what a series that would be. As long as Steph Curry is healthy, um, assumptively Steph Curry is healthy. Uh, I'm going to go Suns. They're just too well-rounded. 
Um, the, the Warriors are going to give them a hard fucking time. Uh, but I do like the defensive unit and depth that the, the Suns provide. And I do like the ability of DeAndre Ayton versus the Suns lineup. Draymond Green isn't what he used to be. Uh, so I'm going to go with the Suns representing the West in the NBA championship. Which would then set us up for, um, you know, Miami clean sweep against the Hornets. Um, would be Miami versus Philly. What a fucking series that'll be. James Harden, um, Joel Embiid, Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Buckets, Tyler Hero. He's working on my jumper. Um, I, I think Miami wins that and and we'll say six, but that's going to be fun. Lots of drama, lots of shit to tune into regardless. And then we'd have Bucks versus Nets, a rematch of last year. I don't think the, the if 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 the Nets were healthy, they didn't have all these hypotheticals, didn't have to play through a play-in game, do all this shit. I would pick the Nets confidently. I don't think they have enough depth and juice to get them through that much series. Is it's a gauntlet, right? The playoffs are a gauntlet. It's a lot of games and a short notice and a lot of recovery. And Kyrie and KD are going to put up ungodly-like numbers. They probably already are tonight against the Celtics. But you're going to have to do that again. Can you do it against a team that is physical, right? Drew Holiday, a great defender. Giannis is the Greek motherfucking freak. DPO-wise, I mean, they got some dudes that'll be in your face. I don't think the Nets have enough gas. That's the reason I'm going to go with the Bucks here. But uh, that's going to be very, very interesting. As long as Seth Curry's healthy, which he's been beat up, he's been playing. Again, I just don't think they'll have enough juice. If he was healthy, um, the way he'd been hooping this year, you never know. The, the, uh, the Nets would be... Uh, a very good pick there, but I'm going with Miami versus Milwaukee. And much like we saw a couple of years ago, Miami is the team that Milwaukee does not want to see as almost bulletproof as Milwaukee's roster is. Uh, Miami's just as deep. They have guys like Max Struess that have shown out this year. Duncan's now on the bench. They got shooters and they got guys that will not Bam Adebayo will be in the Greek freak's face. Jimmy Butler, PJ Tucker. These are some dogs. I'm going with Miami with the Suns. What a fucking final CP3 back in South Beach. What's going to happen? I have no clue. Um, oh, shit. I don't even know who to pick. I know I picked earlier and I picked this. I picked the Miami Heat to win. Whoosh. I'm going to go with Suns right here on the podcast right now, but I'm going to go back and forth. I got to really think about it, really break it down, really look at matchups. I mean, let's just do a quick little depth depth chart. And, you know, it'll be fun as things play out that I can get more specific with you guys and the playoffs roll out. Because um, we don't even have the true play in pick, playoff picture locked in yet because of play-in, so it's like... You know, we're, we're, we're definitely jumping ahead, but that's what we do, right? We break shit down. We talk sports. We fucking love sports. And I would love a Miami-Phoenix fucking championship. I mean, we're talking Kyle Lowry, Chris Paul. Great matchup. Both guys are dogs. Chris Paul's a better closer, though. That's huge. That's the big difference is the closing ability. Max Struess versus Devin Booker. Easily Max Struess. Jimmy Butler, Mikel Bridges. Great defensively. Jimmy Butler is going to get the win because he's more versatile. He put up bigger lines, but McCall is going to need to be shooting for them to, to compete against Miami. Jay Crowder versus PJ Tucker. These are like the same dudes. Um, as I do this, it says, you know, 
Tucker was diagnosed with a strained calf, reevaluated in a week, five days ago. He's getting reevaluated. So he's a little beat up. They have an out with Bam Adebayo. Won't play Sunday. COVID protocols, he's fine. Um, Tyler Hero, let's see. Day-to-day, -day, he should be fine. Dwayne Dedman. Day-to-day, -day, should be fine. Markeith Morris. Day-to-day, -day, should be fine. Okay. Um, Bam Adebayo, DeAndre, and I'm taking Bam. A little bit slight advantage, both sides of the court. Depth-wise, huge rotational players. Six-man, Tyler Hero for, for the Suns. This is where the, the weakness happens, right? Cameron Payne, Landry Shamet, Cam Johnson. Cam Johnson's been fantastic. Torrey Craig, who they added back. JaVale McGee. How do you compare that lineup? Tyler Hero, Caleb Martin, Duncan Robinson, Markeith Morris, and potentially, you know, as well as Gabe Vincent's been, Oladipo looked healthy, put up 40 points at the final game of the season. If Oladipo can put good, consistent minutes on without being hurt off the bench, I'm going Miami. So that's I'm, – I'm going Miami. I'm switching it up. I'm taking Miami, the NBA champions. Um, I did my predictions on paper, and I did not pull up the paper for this with you guys. So I'm going to pull that up. I'm pretty sure that's who I picked was uh, Miami here as well. That's just a, that's such a good game. I love that anything can happen. When the NBA has that, the NBA is a beautiful sport. The problem with the NBA is everyone be teaming up, making super fucking teams, and just don't roll that way. 21-22. Uh, oh, that was last year. I was like, I had Nets and Jazz. I was like, oh, shit, what was I doing? Was I high as a kite? Nah. Was, uh, it was last year. Was a little off there, huh, boys and girls? Prediction sheet. It's not what I want. Come on. NBA. I think I did on the power rankings. Well, maybe I didn't even do it. So, yeah, we're going with Miami. We going with Miami. Will Smith, Miami. Clean rap. What you know about it? Either way, can't wait. Play-ins play are going. Shit's happening. It's getting down to business. And a little live update here. Just because I'm obviously intrigued. God, I keep thinking it's Thursday. It's fucking Tuesday. Um, Brooklyn up 13, two minutes before half. KD with 10 points. Kevin Love with 11. Let's go, K-Love. Two of two from three. He's got six rebounds, two. And Kyrie Irving with 13 on six to six shooting. Yeah. Uh, Net should easily win this one, though. Anyways, enough hoop talk. We talking Supercross. Supercross is back in action after the week off. We had a Triple Crown event, and what an event it was. I love me some Triple Crowns. Uh, Cooper Webb not participating in the 450 due to injury, so the only KTM rider in the 450, no Plessinger, no Cooper Webb. That was down to Marvin Muskan, and he had a day for himself. And then in the 450, Malcolm Stewart hurt in race two of the Triple Crown. Uh, was racing well on the up part of the, the major jump uh, uh, at the starting line. Hit a tough block, smashed his leg. It looked like he wouldn't race round three. Uh, he ended up doing that, but it hurt him in the points. But he was having a good day until that moment. In the 250, I mean, I could try to break this down and make this shit interesting. But, dude, the East Riders or the West, whatever team this is with Jet, I think this is the West. The East is Hunter. 
it's just these guys, the top guys are the top guys. You know, these guys are winning every fucking race, and it's the same song and dance. Race one, Jet, RJ, Mitchell, Holden, Oldenburg. Race two, Jet with the win, RJ, Mitchell. Same order. Race three, Jet got a little, little boisterous, caught himself up in a wreck. So RJ gets, instead of second, he gets one. Philip Nicoletti second. Kyle Chisholm third. Oldenburg, instead of third, finished fourth. And Jet Lawrence somehow finished fifth in that race, which is uh, pretty crazy. Um, but he filled the podium there. So in the overall points, RJ Hampshire stole first because of that. Jet Lawrence second. Mitchell Oldenburg third. Again, these guys are, uh, yeah, it is what it is. Um, points leaders for this, it's Jet Lawrence first at 148. He's quite a ways ahead of Cameron McAdoo, who's 114. And then RJ Hampshire, 107 and third. Um, so that is what it is. McAdoo wasn't able to race this event. Then in the 450, Team Honda just rocking the fucking podium. Chase Sexton with the first place finish. Again, Marvin Muscan had his fingerprints on every podium. He got a second place finish. And then really the point standings that makes things interesting is Barsha, Anderson, and Stewart. Well, Stewart had the best in round one, finishing on the podium with third. Tomac, fourth, clear points leader. Barsha, fifth. Anderson, sixth. And then the second race, again, uh, with Malcolm Stewart having that wreck, changed it up. Muscan, first. Anderson, second. Sexton still with the podium in third. Tomac with another fourth. And Barsha with another fifth. And then the third race, Tomac's like, all right, enough, boys. I'm going to get the victory. He gets first. Muscan, second again. He goes 2-1-2. Uh, Chase Sexton, third. He goes 1-3-3. Barsha, fourth. Barsha goes 5-5-4. Jason Anderson, fifth. Um, He goes 6-2-5. And then Malcolm Stewart, sixth. So overall, Muscan with the victory. Chase Sexton, second. Tomac, third. Anderson, fourth. Barsha, fifth. Stewart, ninth. That wreck really messed some things up for him. So in the season points, we got Tomac way ahead at 302. Anderson in second, 246. He's only six points ahead of Bam Bam. Barsha, third at 240. Malcolm Stewart, fourth at 234. And then Muscan creeping along in fifth at 232. Cooper Wedd falling behind, taking a big hit with no, no race here. This week, round 14 of 17, we're getting down to the wire in Atlanta. And in the 250 class, we're getting a little east-west showdown. There's this one in the last race that's happening. So that'll be fun. Tuning into that, it's really going to be interesting in the 450 to see Anderson, Barsha, and Stewart, how they finish. I hope Stewart can figure it out. Uh, I'd love to see him up there. Uh, Chase Sexton's kind of lingering, but he's going to have to do a lot of work to catch up. And then East-West showdown the 250 to spice it up. And then we're going to the Diamond. It's baseball season. The first week of baseball is underway. I got Angels New gear, I'm ready, got season tickets, sold the first home opener because I'm going to be in San Diego this weekend. Regardless, I am back that baseball, or is I'm stoked baseball is back. Around the news, the Mariners are stoked about J.P. Crawford. Um, they signed him to a five-year, $51 million extension. The Twins trade Taylor Rogers and Brent Rooker to the Padres for Chris Paddock and Emilio Pagan. Uh, So some decent trade capital for hoping the best for Paddock for the Twins. The Pirates signed Cabron Hayes, eight-year, $70 million extension. Literally that day, he hurts his wrist and gets out of the game, but he has been playing since then, which is great news. But what a team-friendly contract, if you ask me. 
Otani, you know, he's always breaking records, making history every day. He he wakes up and pisses excellence. He is the first opening day uh, player in history, in ALNL history, to throw the team's first pitch and face the first pitch as a batter, leadoff hitter, starting pitcher, opening day starter. Y'all already know how it went. Now, uh, they played the Astros four-game series, went one and three, played tough, played competitively, and the pitching performed against a very good lineup. Not much else you could ask for. And he only pitched five innings because of the shortened spring training. They're not fully ramped up yet. The Guardians been signing their core players. It's going to be interesting to see what their future strategy is with a ton of money, a ton of prospects, and uh, they just are signing some of the ones that they're, they have on the team, including Miles Straw to a five-year $25 million deal. And uh, Apple TV on Friday, I liked the production, got to tune in uh, to the Angels game, Katie Nolan, um, Hunter Pence on the broadcast. Uh, I like their use of stats. It was just a kind of modern look. Um, definitely doesn't give you a baseball feel. It was more like a studio show feel, um, as these, you know, uh, reporters aren't really, I don't know. They're not the classic baseball kind of vibe, uh, but I was digging it. And at, with that Peacock is now becoming an exclusive home to MLB game of the week on Sunday morning. So Sunday morning, baseball beginning May 8th, they will stream uh, an NBA NBC NBC Sports produced baseball game for 18 consecutive weeks, and it'll be starting at 8.30 a.m. Pacific. I'm rolling out of bed, getting some baseball going. Now, uh, looking at what, what's going on with baseball, we won't talk about a lot about the opening uh, week series. It's literally opening week. You know, like the Rockies are beating the Dodgers. Like, oh, are the Rockies just you know set up for success this year? Like, no, 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 it's none of that shit. Uh, but we will talk about the series that are happening this weekend. Um, the two and two twins are taking on the two and three Red Sox. That's on ESPN Plus on Friday for the weekend series. That'll be a good uh, AL series. We also have the Phillies taking on the Marlins. Phillies are three and one. Marlins one and three. Uh, but the Marlins look to be you know getting better and better each year. We'll see how they can do against the best of, in their division in that stacked stack NL East. Um, the uh, the Tampa Bay Rays three and one taking on the White Sox three and one. That'll be the Apple TV Plus special Friday night baseball on Friday. But that'll be an awesome series this weekend. Uh, the White Sox have had a myriad of injuries already, uh, dealing with Lucas Giolito, which crushed me because I have him on my squad. Uh, Kopech, uh, Crochet. I mean, they've had some guys out already. And we also have Brewers, Cardinals. The Brewers off to a brutal start at 1-3. and three. Cardinals 2-1. and one. Either way, that's going to be a great game in the NL. We have Braves, Padres, 2-3 and three Braves, 4-1 and one Padres. Another awesome powerhouse uh, NL matchup. Um, little AL West action, 2-3 and three Mariners versus 3-1 and one Strohs. That'll be a blast. Uh, see how the Mariners can compete against the Astros. I know my Angels didn't quite cut it, but I was still happy with the performances. They played, you know, decent ball. You know, no one cares about this, but the Angels taking the Rangers. I'm hoping for a clean sweep all week. They got Marlins and uh, um, and Rangers, so I need that. And then Dodgers versus Reds, Apple TV as well. Little NL competition: two and two Dodgers, one and or one and two Dodgers, two and two Reds. See if the Dodgers can get get back and you know get some momentum going. Um, to head into the weekend. 
But yeah, I'm fucking stoked, baby. Baseball's back. And then to finish out the show, a couple NFL moves. The Bengals signing Trey Flowers to a one-year. The Chargers signed Troy Reader to one year. The Colts signed Rodney McLeod, uh, McLeod. excuse me. The Bucks signed Keanu O'Neill, who went back to safety. The Texans extend Brandon Cooks to a two-year, 20-something million dollar deal. Why Cooks would want to stay there. He's been on all these teams, and now he stays with Texans. Kind of interesting. Uh, the Browns re-signed Ronnie Harrison. Dwayne Haskin. Oh, whoa. Can't pull an Adam Schefter here. Uh, just reading down the list. Um, yeah, brutal news for Steelers fans, for NFL fans, for Ohio State Buckeye fans, for Washington fans. Um, you know, this was the first thing that I woke up to that morning. And, uh, yeah, definitely, uh, you know, made me grateful for the life that I live and just kind of set a weird tone for the day. But uh, I believe at 24 years old, Dwayne Haskins hit by a car. Uh, the Steelers and Mitchell Trubisky had a bunch of people practicing in Florida at his home. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just like you just never fucking know what can happen in life. And for me, what I really wanted to put into action when I went to Portland this past weekend is just be nice to every person. You never know when that could be their last moments. You never know what people have going on in life. And just be grateful, practice gratitude for what we have, that we we have fresh breath, breath you know, fresh, uh, breathing air that we live in America, you know, whatever you want to classify it as, it's just like that puts things into perspective and it's brutal thing to see. I don't wish that upon anybody, especially at that age. And, uh, you know, everyone said the same thing. If you want to, you know, bring in what Dwayne can, he was a happy person. He made you feel better about yourself and he was just always high energy. Um, so looking to add that to my day to day a little bit, um, you know, live on the Dwayne Haskins legacy, uh, but, you know, brutal, brutal news, prayers to his family, loved ones, and everybody there. Um, I couldn't imagine something like that. I had lost a close friend, uh, 28 years old this past year, uh, bought a new motorcycle and, and uh, uh, died on impact. You know, that was brutal. Um, I just, it's so crazy that life can be taken away from us at that young of an age and brutal news to see that and uh, prayers to his family once again. And then finally, the Ravens re-signed Calais Cam- uh, Campbell up the middle, and the Bears signed tight end Ryan Griffin to a one-year from the Jets. But can you believe it? 78 episodes deep. Again, more UFC each and every week. What a banger of a card last weekend. MLB's back. NBA playoffs going on right this moment. Um, but again, thanks to the sponsor, Fueled Supplements. Check them out, fueledsupplements.com. Save some money while doing it. Um, next week, we're going to also talk uh, NFL mock drafts compared with some of the top guys have to say and, and what my thoughts are. Uh, but we're, we got lots more sports coming your way. I'll catch you all next week.